Let's turn to the book of Ephesians together. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Praise God. Ephesians 4, 14. I'm just going to read you the A part of the verse here. Ephesians 4, 14 says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I'll just stop right there. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, to a church in the Asian city of Ephesus. We've been learning about it in home fellowships. We've been learning about the city in the background a bit. Very large city, much larger than Syracuse, modern-day Syracuse. Very cosmopolitan city, sort of a New York City of the ancient world. One of the five most important cities in the entire Roman Empire, And the Apostle Paul was sent there to bring the gospel and to start a church. And he writes this letter to that church. And it's so important uh, what he had to say to that church. It becomes a type and a message to all churches throughout all ages. The Apostle Paul did a lot of sailing in his life. According to my reading of the New Testament, I can see that he was shipwrecked four times minimum. I know what you may say uh, about 2 Corinthians 11.25. It says that he suffered shipwreck three times, not four. But I'm aware that he wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians before he uh, went through the ordeals of Acts chapter 27, in which he was shipwrecked again. And so that makes at least four times that he was shipwrecked. The apostle knew about wind at sea. He knew what it was like to be tossed to and fro on big waves. He knew something about navigating through storms. We're not going to actually open our Bibles to Acts 27 today, even though I will refer to it many times. It's because I'm not going to zero in on the details of that experience. Instead, I'm going to refer to it in more general ways. It's a wonderful uh, chapter in the Word of God, a very thrilling and dramatic story of a ship in distress. And if you are not familiar with the details, you definitely want to read through Acts chapter 27. But in Acts 27, the Apostle Paul becomes the de facto captain of the ship. What I mean by that is the captain of the ship seems to sort of disappear. And the Apostle Paul takes the role of leader on the ship. And... um, decision-making about how to handle the storm that was destroying the ship out from under them. If I was the paid captain in that situation, that official titled captain of the ship, and then somehow I got to read the book of Acts, chapter 27, I'd be thoroughly embarrassed. 
Because in Acts chapter 27, the official captain, the paid captain of the ship disappears. And the apostle Paul takes over. And it wouldn't speak very well of me, who who was supposed to be in charge on the ship as the ship was making its way through a terrible gale wind. The official captain of the ship was practically a non-entity. It seems like the captain of the ship didn't know what to do. Then later, in Paul's life and, and in Paul's experience, he writes this letter to the church of Ephesus, the Ephesians. And actually, it was not that long after Acts 27 and that shipwreck story that he writes this letter. The loss of the ship, the loss of the cargo, the very near loss of life, but ultimately the saving of all the people that were on the ship. These things were probably on the Apostle Paul's mind, so fresh in his memory, so fresh in his experience, when he wrote that we should no more be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. That was very fresh in his mind. Being tossed to and fro by gale force winds physically on a ship. Question this morning. Do you know how to navigate through the ordeals of life? Do you have the captain-like qualities that would enable you to make good decisions and to have a bearing of poise and faith as you go through the ordeals of life? The Apostle Paul was with the Ephesian church for between two and a half and three years. He called it three He came to know the port city of Ephesus very well. And as a shipping and commercial center, it was a city of many, many ideas and many teachings. There's a world-famous library in Ephesus. And like I mentioned, I've compared it to an ancient New York City or an ancient internet. We could compare it to an ancient internet, a place of many ideas, the spawning of ideas, the the multiplication of ideas, and lots of conversations, a lot of people on their soapboxes. It was a mixing bowl. The city was a mixing bowl of cultures and ideas. And for the Apostle Paul, these... uh, this multitude of ideas and this multitude of talk within the city was, were like the winds that could push up the waves that could trouble a ship. And in this case, the ship is a metaphor for the church that could trouble the church. 
I've mentioned to you, you know, the 21st century is a challenging time for a pastor. It's a wonderful time for a pastor in some ways. You can get the word out in so many ways. But it's a challenging time for a pastor because a pastor has to compete with so many technologies and so many voices and so many commentaries and so many analyses. The truth is a pastor can't compete You just have to keep your nose to the grindstone, right? You just have to be a man or a woman of prayer, and you have to go forward in prayer. You have to be filled with the Holy Ghost and carry on and do your work where God puts you, and let let the details fall out as they will. When it comes to the church, souls are at stake. In Acts chapter 27, when the apostle was on a ship that was uh, foundering and breaking up in a storm, people were at stake, souls were at stake. But when the ship, which is the church, if the church is breaking up in the great winds of ideas and talk, souls, eternal souls are at stake. Not only their physical lives are at stake, that's bad enough, that's very serious, but our eternal souls are even more valuable than our physical, temporal lives, and that is huge, isn't it? And thinking about Ephesus, it was like thinking about being at sea again. And feeling the ship straining under the pressures of wind and wave. The idea in the book of Ephesians is to remain spiritually, mentally, emotionally steady and calm. While there was confusion and complexity all about. Paul was coming against edginess. Flightiness, lightness. He found these things immature, childlike, infant like. And he was doing all he could in writing this book of Ephesians to bring about maturity in a church. I borrowed a, uh, a statement from the internet about a description of a worthy ship captain. I thought it was very good. A worthy ship captain. It said this, quote, A good captain exudes quiet confidence and is a master of management. He possesses a stable nature and is comfortable in his own skin and knows how to delegate responsibilities. There will be difficult decisions to be made, and a confident captain knows how to balance a vessel's needs above outside influence, unquote. This morning, let's take a couple minutes to put the timeline of the Apostle Paul's experience together in his relationship with the church of Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20 you can see that the Apostle Paul arranges what he believes, he's quite sure of this, that it will be his last visit, his last face-to-face visit 
with the elders of the church of Ephesus. Once again, that's in Acts chapter 20. You can read about that. Then in Acts chapters 21 to 26, the Apostle Paul continues on to the Holy Land, to Caesarea and to Jerusalem, and then eventually back to Caesarea on the Mediterranean shore. And during that time in the Holy Land, this is Acts chapter 21 to 26, he experienced riot, arrest, imprisonment, an unjust trial, many high-tension confrontations between himself and a mob, between himself and soldiers, between himself and accusers, between himself and uh, Jewish hierarchy, between himself and Roman hierarchy. He is right in the thick of it for about five chapters in the book of Acts. In chapter 27 of the book of Acts, he is being sent to Rome because he has requested it in his search for justice. And that's when the shipwreck takes place that I've already referred to several times. In Acts, I'm sorry, in the book of uh, Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 1, In chapter 4, verse 1, he writes to the Ephesian church that he is a prisoner of the Lord. This is because he's taken prisoner in Jerusalem, moved to a prison in Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast, and in Acts chapter 27, he is actually under guard, under Roman guard on this ship that begins to fall apart in a storm. And like I mentioned to you, the Apostle Paul goes from prisoner on the ship to the de facto captain of the ship in order to save the lives of the people that were there. Let me summarize what I've just explained to you about this timeline. His communication with the church of Ephesus is uh, it, it sandwiches his navigation of both a cultural storm and a physical storm. He communicates to the elders, then he, he endures these great storms in his life, imprisonment and shipwreck, and then he communicates to the church of Ephesus again, only this time through a letter. Ephesus, storms, Ephesus. He wants them to be mature and prepared for the storms of life. He wants them to be prepared not only as individuals, but as a congregation of the Lord, as members of a team, and as influencers of a team. Influencers. He was a under armed guard on the ship, but he became the influencer on that ship. Let's go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. It picks up a story here. 
Acts 20, 17 says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He feels called to Jerusalem and compelled to go straight there and not spend a lot of time dawdling. So he doesn't actually visit the city of Ephesus. Instead, as he's voyaging past Ephesus, he calls for the elders to come and meet him at this port of Miletus. Verse 28, he gives them their instructions. He tells them why he had it on his heart to meet with them. Verse 28, he tells the elders of the church of Ephesus, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every everyone night and day with tears. So, like I said, he had a message for Ephesus. Then he went through these great personal storms, including a a storm at sea. But great storms when he went to battle with the religious hierarchy that was in Jerusalem. Storms after storms. After he spoke to the elders of Ephesus. Then, after the storms, he writes the letter to Ephesus. Oh, you could see how concerned he was about the church in this particular community. He couldn't get them off his mind. He wanted them to be mature and ready and fit to serve the Lord and carry on in Christ. If we go then to his next communication with that church, which is actually the the letter which we know as the book of Ephesus, in chapter 2, verse 3, he starts reminding them about their start in Christ. In Ephesus chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. That's where we came from. We came from a state of sinfulness. In chapter 2, verse 10, he describes the new state that we've come into. We are God's workmanship, he says in chapter 2, verse 10. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And in chapter 5 of Ephesus, verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. We know uh, from our studies in the book of Ephesus that it's a fantastic expression of coming out of an old life of sin and entering into a new life with Christ and power. 
Hallelujah. Now, he has this concern that they be not children. They don't stay children. That they grow and mature. You might say it like this, that they make something of themselves in Christ. Not that they make something of themselves in the world. That will come. God will be with us. We'll make something of ourselves in the world. Not to worry. It'll happen. But his concern is that we would make something of ourselves in Christ and in the church. That we would be mature. Influencers. Influencers in the church. Let's go back to Ephesians 4 and read the whole paragraph. The paragraph would go from verse 11 to verse 16. Verse 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine or wind of teaching by the slight of men, the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Paul wants us to know Christ. He wants us to have knowledge of Christ and faith in Him. He doesn't care if we have the newest gossip. Ephesus was a port city, and you know, a port city is a place of gossip. The dock are a place of gossip because news from all over the world is coming in and docking at the, at the wharfs in a port city like Ephesus. He didn't care if we knew all the latest gossip that was coming in on ships from all over the world. He wanted the church of Ephesus to know Jesus Christ. He didn't want them to know every inventive idea that would wash up on shore. Or crawl around on the docks like a rat. Gossip turns people into troublemakers. God wants us to be influencers for good. Influencers for edification. He doesn't want us to be troublemakers. We can contrast the maturity that he talks about in verse 13... He says, unto a perfect man. 
in verse 13. We might say, we might be more likely to say it in our modern language, unto a mature man who measures up to the full height of Christ. You can contrast that with verse 14, where he talks about children. Be no longer children. Mature man, that's the goal. Children, that, that's the starting point. It's not the ending point. Where we see children in English, it comes from the Greek word that means infants. Infants. Just getting potty trained. After we're delivered from sin and death, all God's children are called to be a source of edification. Not a source of panic. Not a source of confusion. But a source of edification. Amen? You recall what he's told the Corinthian church, also a church that had some uh, need to grow up. He told them, when I was a child, this is 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Amen, brothers and sisters? One commentator by the name of W.J. Woods says this about maturity. I really like it. He says, it's the power to say no with decision and yes with concentration. Say no with decision and yes with concentration. The mature know where they are headed and they stay on course. The mature Christian keeps Christ first in his life and is not taken off course by sin, by worry, by love for the world, and by private priorities. In this business of private versus place in a team is something that I'd really like to stress. It's very much on my heart. The mature become influencers within the team. They do not hide in a private life. And in fact, those that hide in a private life are actually showing themselves to be immature Christians. How's that for a strong statement? I'm just putting my cards on the table. If we're going to hide in the private, we're not going to be a real source of edification to the body of Christ. God hasn't called us to only survive. We are not called only to survive the storms of life. He has called us to help the ship reach the port. And if I stop talking in figurative language, I will say, help the church reach heaven. Amen? We're all called to help the church reach heaven. We're not just called to make heaven ourselves. We're not just called, my, my problem is me. All right, I'll include my family too. My problem is me, my, my, my wife, and my kids. My, my issue is me, all right, I might include a brother or a sister in my flesh family. I might include my parents. My problem is just me and my family, or maybe just me. 
Well, that's a very immature. That's an immature outlook. And the Apostle Paul writes the book of Ephesians in order to provoke us to greater maturity and to become influencers in the church. Sources of edification to our brethren. We're not all going to be captains. I know that. Of course not. We're not all cut out to be captains of the ship. We're not all going to be able to do like the Apostle Paul, you know, go from the man under guard to the man in charge of the ship. We're not, we're not all going to uh, be able to become influencers to that degree. But what I just read to you in chapter 4 is that every joint is supplying something to the body. Every part is joined to the rest. There's a great attack on this concept going on in our culture, isn't there? The church is becoming very fragmented. The church is just, uh, you know, so many people don't even care if they go to church. They don't even care if they're a member. They don't care if they're a part. They don't care if they're an influencer. They don't care if they're a contributor. And you know, we don't even, we don't even take a collection here. We're not talk, I'm not talking to you about uh, being a contributor of monies, although that's a good thing to do. You, you know, God forbid if I die and I haven't worshipped God with my money. You want to worship God with your money, don't you? You don't want to have that one facet of your life separated from God and, and God has no hand on it, no touch on it. We want to worship God with every area of our life, don't we? There's no part in the vision that the Apostle Paul has of the church. There's no part that lives independently from the body. Each part of the body adds, adds to the whole. Each part is selfless in this sense. It doesn't exist just for itself. It exists for the good of the body. In Acts chapter 27, if you read the details there, you'll see some experienced seamen, some sailors, judged that the ship was a goner. The the actual ship, it just was not going to survive these waves Uh, They were uh, taking soundings and they realized that they were coming close to land and they just figured this ship is going to be busted up on the rocks, far from shore. It's going to be busted up on the rocks and we're all going to drown. So these experienced sailors, judging the situation, said, we're out of here, we're jumping ship. There, There was a small boat on the ship a little boat on the ship, like a lifeboat, a dinghy. It would help to transport uh, people from the ship to the shore. And the sailors said uh, uh, a lie. They said, well, we're going to fix something on the outside of the ship, so we're going to lower down the little boat right now, and we're going to lower ourselves down into the little boat, and uh, we're going to fix something on the ship. And the Apostle Paul said, don't let him do it. He doesn't say this to the captain of the ship. He says it to the Roman officer. I don't know where the captain is. 
I think he's in his bed in a fetal position and crying. He tells the Roman officers, don't let those guys lower that boat. I'm telling you, don't let them lower the boat. They're lying. They want to get away. They don't like our chances in this ship. And if they succeed in getting away, that what I told you before, that we're going to survive this storm and not one life is going to be lost, off. The promise is off. We need those sailors to stay on this ship with us. Well, the Roman officer was done relating to Paul as some low-life prisoner in shackles, and he said, you think they're lying? They're lying. You think they're trying to get away? They're trying to get away. Yeah, but you said an angel promised you that we'll all survive this storm. Not if you let those guys get away, they won't. I don't, know, I don't know what's going to happen if you let those guys get away. You, 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 cut the ropes on that ship, jettison the ship, or the boat. We don't need that boat. They throw the boat overboard without the sailors and kept the sailors. They threw the boat overboard and kept the sailors at the direction of the Apostle Paul. End of story. Everybody survives. That promise of the angel of God came to pass. The, you can just hear the Apostle Paul, be calm, be calm, everybody be calm. We have the promise of God here. God is with us. He gave me a promise. He visited me and promised me that we're all going to be calm. Don't get excited. Don't panic. Don't start breaking up. Let's not get fragmented now. Let's stay together in this. I think that the sailors were probably correct. That their chances for survival, using the little boat to navigate through the rocky shore of the island and get close enough to shore so that you could actually make it to shore, they probably were correct. This is sailor wisdom talking. In their little world, in their little world of their little boat, of their private little world, four or five, six or eight sailors thinking it through together, making their plans together, getting in the boat, to, their little boat together in their private little world, they were increasing their chances for survival. But God is not interested in just having one little boat saved. He wants a big ship loaded with hundreds of people to be saved. Amen, brothers and sisters. God doesn't want to just save your little family. God wants to save many people in Syracuse, New York. God does not desire that we live in a little world of our own design. Now, the guys that they stopped from leaving the boat, none, none of them were captains. 
but they were needed, and each one of them would have to show himself a little bit of a captain, because each one of them knew what to do with this rope, and what to, when to climb that mast, and when to put out this sail, and when to put in this sail, and when to drop the anchor, and when to lift the anchor. And all of them would have possessed something that would help the ship survive. The sailors, let me put it this way, to bring it back to Ephesians chapter 4, the sailors were immature, thinking only of their own survival. Paul was mature, like a captain, determined to grasp the promise of God. God had promised him that no life would be lost. What is that little boat It could be our career, our private career. I am not going to allow my private career to be threatened by my walk in the Lord, by my service to Christ. I have got to put career first. I've got to put family first. I've got to put wife, husband first. I've got to put this first or that first in my private world. could be our personal recipe for a good life. I've got, I think I have this figured out, what a good life is made of, what a good life looks at, like. I, and I'm going to pursue my recipe for a good life. But is your recipe based on the Word of God? Is your recipe based on the will of Christ? Because I tell you, we have an an entire eternity ahead of us. When our private world and our private goals and our own personal recipe for a good life are going to be long, long forgotten except as something that we regret. We can say to the Lord, like those sailors said, I must save what I must save. But Paul is challenging us to put the ship ahead of our private concerns. That's what the mature do, whether they're captains or not. Each Christian is called to have the maturity of a captain, even if he is not a captain. The goal of the book of Ephesians is to bring the church of Ephesus to spiritual maturity and to usefulness. Let's look again at verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. Perfecting, in verse 12, means training or equipping. Training and equipping for what? Surely not to beat the world at its own goals. We are not called just to beat the world to do what they do better than what they do. 
You know, they're focused on earning money. We've got to show ourselves even better at earning money than them. They're good at earning promotions. We've got to show that we're even better at earning promotions than them. They're good at inventing things and, and thinking of in, intriguing and new solutions to a problem. We've got to prove ourselves to be even better thinkers and more creative than them. We are not called to beat the world at its own game. Let that game take care of itself. We're called to do what Jesus did. Call sinners unto repentance. Save the lost. Amen? Is it true? We are called to save the lost. Is what I'm sharing too threatening to your own personal goals? Training and equipping for what? Verse 12 says, in the New International Version, to equip his people for works of service. The offices in the church are mentioned in verse 11, right? Uh, Verse 11, he gave some apostles, that's one, prophets, two, evangelists, three, pastors, four, teachers, five. You might think there are only four, and that pastors and teachers are uh, only one. It's nothing to have a debate about. It's not that important of a distinction. But they're the offices in the church, and they're meant to reproduce the leadership qualities as the Apostle Paul did wherever he went. Wherever he went, he tried to produce leaders in the church. Wherever he went, he sought out and tried to nurture leaders. He tried to gather people into unity in Christ, and he tried to equip people to carry on the work that Jesus Christ had begun. He says, for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. You see that in verse 12. And there's an old controversy of whether the work of the ministry belongs to the, the four or the five offices, apostles, evangelists, and so on, prophets, pastors, and teachers, if the work of the ministry belongs only to them, according to this verse, or if the work of the ministry is something that those offices work to equip all the people in the church to do the work of the ministry. Is the work of the ministry done by only the five, or is it done by everybody in the church? That's the old controversy. And I don't think if we take a longer look at verse 12 that we're really going to decide the answer strongly. The answer, though, is made very clear by the larger context and by the larger passage here. Verse 15 depicts us all speaking the truth in love, not just these five offices. Verse 16 says, every joint is supplying something to the entire body. That's verse 16. Verse 16 also says, every part does its effectual working. Not just those five offices of the church. And verse 29, look at verse 29. We all speak to minister grace to those who listen. We all do that. There's the answer for the work of the ministry. 
Is the work of the ministry only performed by those five offices? Or is it performed by everybody as those five offices train people to do it? Equip people to do it. That's the job of the five offices. I'm a pastor and a teacher. I'm a pastor and a teacher. I am not doing my job if I don't train you to be an influencer in the church. If I don't train you to be leaders, if I don't train you to get in there and make yourself useful to the church, I'm not doing my job. That's my job. To train you, equip you for the work of the ministry. To bring you to maturity in Christ. Where you can lead the church into calmness. Faith. Work at the appropriate times in order to save everybody on the ship. Amen? What's that old saying, can I have an amen? Is that how it goes? The book of Ephesians is a great explanation of salvation. It gives a great contrast between the old life of sin and alienation from God. But it's also a great challenge to go forward in Christ and become useful to the mission of Christ. The mature are useful. The mature save souls. The mature teach. The mature speak edifying things in truth and love to one another. They don't cause panic. They don't cause uh, uh, question. They don't, uh, you know, share gossip that will alarm people. The mature are calm. They create unity in Christ within the church. The mature create unity. They have something to give. They're not simply dealing with private concerns. Not everyone's called to be a captain. Not everyone's called to be a lead pastor. Not everyone's called to bear responsibility to lead, to be, you know, one that's out front, like at the point of the V, the flying V. Not everyone's called to be there. But everyone in the church is called to develop some leadership qualities. Everyone is called to develop some leadership qualities. So when you have a child, when you have a friend, when you have a brother or sister, when you have a spouse who's panicking, who's edgy, who's, who's dragging behind, who's losing pace who's falling away, you can be a source of strength, edification, calmness, and faith to that individual. Everyone is called to lead in that way with steadiness, courage, calmness, right thinking, knowledge, and faith. Everyone. My job is to help you get there. And to no longer be children that are tossed to and fro by the winds of all the multitude of ideas that are being spoken in our world. The church is called to develop unity and maturity, not fragmentation and pettiness. We're not to be 
so many individuals all headed in our own direction, but we are called to pull together. And I pray, O God, that your spirit would come upon us this morning and help the word to stick, grow, bear fruit, be a good word to us, O Lord. O Lord, we could relate to this church of Ephesus in the 21st century. Our world is very windy and stormy with waves of this and waves of that. Oh God, bring us, every one of us, to maturity and to loving one another, taking care of one another, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to ask the singers to come up. If you have found yourself on the outside looking in, on the outside of the faith, not part, not saved, not, um, not in the boat, You're going to find yourself swimming out there all alone in the wind and in the waves. God doesn't want you to be all alone. He wants you to be his child and he'll welcome you into his family. If there's anybody here that wants to surrender to Jesus or just wants to come up front for prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with God's strength and help, the front is now open. We have a few minutes. It's early. Please, uh, if you desire, you can respond to the Lord and we'll wait for you.